pressure. So it's an interesting one, pressure. I'm not entirely sure where to put it uh, in doing these podcasts, and clearly they weren't very sure where to put it in the syllabus either, because they've lumped it in with energy. And it's not really an energy problem. It's um, a forces thing, or even possibly it's to do with the particle models of the way that matter works. Certainly when you're talking about particle models of gases, pressure plays a big part in that. So you've got to be able to understand uh, what the term pressure means in order to be able to go on and do those particle uh, theories. And I think um, it's unlikely that pressure is going to take me a whole 20 minutes, which is the blocks I've been trying to do these podcasts in. So I think we'll probably get up into the particle models before the end of this podcast. But anyway, we start with pressure. What is pressure? Pressure is force divided by area. There you go, there's the formula, there's your definition, force divided by area. Its unit is Pascals, uh, capital P, small a. Um, Once again, Pascal was a real chap, so uh, you have to give it a capital P. Um, It could also be Newtons per metre squared, or even Newtons per centimetre squared. A uh, Pascal is a Newton per metre squared. So if you want to write Pascals, you've got to make sure that you've actually been doing all of your calculations in meters meters squared uh, if you've been doing your calculations in centimeters squared don't write pascals write newtons per centimeter squared but better to do your calculations in meters squared and then you're not going to get any problems you can write pascals on the end and get perfectly correct marks okay so why is it a useful concept hmm difficult one it's a useful concept when we're talking about fluids and of course you remember that in physics a fluid is either a gas or a liquid because in fluids it turns out that they exert the same pressure the same force per unit area in every direction equally it therefore makes more sense with a fluid to talk about pressure than it does to talk about force because the force can change depending on how the surface area of the liquid or the or the gas changes but the pressure doesn't change so certainly for liquids and gases pressure is a very useful concept for solids um, it's perhaps slightly less of a useful concept but nevertheless uh, it's useful in that things fail at certain pressures so the typical example that turns up in an exam question of course is ice ice will fail at a particular point will start to crack at a particular point if too much pressure is applied so if you want to avoid your ice cracking you need to reduce the pressure upon it and you can reduce the pressure upon it by spreading out the uh, force being applied and if that force is you then you can uh, reduce the risk of the ice cracking by laying on your belly and uh, having a bigger area surface area in contact with the ice than by standing on your tiptoes Um, So you reduce the pressure on the ice and therefore you reduce its likely failure mode. So pressure is useful when discussing solids as well because pressure obviously um, is very often about failure when we're talking about solids. When do they start to crumble? So um, sandstone, for example, you have to build a tower of sandstone roughly 200 metres tall for the pressure of all of that rock to start crumbling the rock at the bottom. And it actually doesn't matter how wide or how narrow the tower is. Of course, it does matter for it standing up in the wind, but just theoretically, it doesn't matter how wide or how narrow the tower is. The uh, What matters is the pressure. It matters the weight divided by the surface area. How much pressure is being applied on the brick 
of sandstone right at the very bottom before it will start to fail, before it will start to crumble. So it's quite a useful idea is pressure, but I say most of the questions that turn up about pressure tend to be about fluids. You're listening to BCJ, Victoria College Journal. Lots of the exam questions that turn up about pressure are about the extra pressure that something is producing. So a block of steel sitting on the ground is providing an extra pressure over and above the air pressure that the ground will be feeling anyway because of the weight of the block of steel. So if you want to find out what that extra pressure is, then you've simply got to find out what the weight of the steel is and divide that by the surface area. And how can they make that difficult? Well, they can make that difficult by including things like the density of the steel and you having to work out what the volume of the steel is or you have to work out what the cross-sectional area is before you can then work out what the pressure is. So there's things that they can do to make those quite hard questions mathematically, although the ideas are pretty straightforward because pressure is just force divided by area and for most uh, of the questions that are going to turn up the force involved is weight and of course you know weight is just mass times g where g is 10 so we end up with this uh, pressure is equal to mg divided by a where a is the cross-sectional area or the basal area of the thing that we're talking about of course cross-sectional area multiplied by height is volume. So we could say the mass of an object is given by its volume multiplied by its density. We could say the mass of an object is given by density multiplied by the cross-sectional area multiplied by its height, providing it's a nice regular object, it's a cylinder or a nice regular rectangular block. Then uh, we've got mass is equal to uh, cross-sectional area multiplied by height multiplied by density. And then, of course, if we want to find out what the pressure being exerted by our object is, then that becomes the mass, which is density times area times height, multiplied by g, which we know is 10, divided by the cross-sectional area. So we find the cross-sectional area disappears out of the equation, providing our thing has a nice regular cross-section. So we end up with a formula that says pressure is given by density multiplied by the height multiplied by g gravitational field strength or p is equal to rho g h where rho of course you remember is the greek letter that we use for density and it turns out that's true for regular solids it also turns out that that's always true for the extra pressure being provided by fluids because with fluids Actually, it turns out that the only bit of the weight of the fluid that counts is a bit directly above the area that you're talking about. So, it doesn't matter how oddly shaped your vase is, we're only talking about the direct column above the centimetre squared we happen to be actually discussing. And so, we end up with being able to use pressure is equal to rho gh in pretty much every situation that involves fluids. So uh, what situations do involve fluids for that kind of thing? Well, we could use rho gh, for example, to come up with an estimate for the height of the atmosphere. Because we know what the pressure at the bottom of the atmosphere is. It's uh, 100,000 pascals. We know what the density of air is. It's about 1 kilogram per meter squared. We know what g is. It's 10. Therefore, we can come up with a value for h. 
Of course, it's a pretty terrible estimate because the density of air changes continually as you go up through the atmosphere. It goes down and down and down. So you end up with a value for the height of the atmosphere that's much too low because you haven't allowed for the fact that density is changing. But uh, what else can we do with it? Well, of course, the classic example is the manometer. You remember the manometer is the U filled with water, and we have different pressures on the two sides, and that gives us a height difference in the fluid, and we can work out what the pressure difference on the two sides is by multiplying that height difference by rho and g for our fluids, and therefore we can work out what the pressure difference is in a manometer. Or we can work it out for a barometer, and the difference between a barometer and a manometer is that in a barometer, the pressure on one side is zero. It's a vacuum. Okay, One side in a barometer, we've got a vacuum. The other side in a barometer, and uh, we've got ordinary air pressure. It's pushing down on our reservoir. If you remember the uh, diagram, we've got a reservoir of uh, mercury at the bottom, and then we've got a column of mercury with a vacuum above it. So we've got a difference in pressure between the normal air pressure and a vacuum, zero. And then, of course, our rho gh actually gives us the value of air pressure. So we measure the height of mercury sitting above the top of our reservoir and uh, that gives us h. We look up the value for the density of mercury and we multiply it by g as usual and we get air pressure which as I've already said to you is around about a hundred thousand pascals. Why do we do it with mercury? Well we need a really dense liquid. If we do it with water we end up with a water column that's 10 meters tall which isn't very convenient for a barometer if we uh, if we do it with mercury, then we end up with a mercury column that's about 76 centimetres tall, which is still not especially convenient, but is a lot more convenient than 10 metres worth of water. And you'll remember that there is a uh, mercury column barometer sitting outside Mrs. Stevenson's office, so you can go and have a look at it, and you can actually see the mercury level inside it if you ha if you go and have a really close squint at it all occasions where we are interested in the pressure difference for fluids then we use the simple formula pressure is equal to rho gh density times gravitational field strength multiplied by the height and of course they can give you an example on the moon all they have to do is tell you what the gravitational field strength in the moon is it's 1.6 and then you could do your calculations for what a manometer would show when you were doing some experiment on the moon they don't have to stick to the Earth. Any way they can think of to make it a slightly different or slightly more complicated question. Before we move on from pressure in liquids, uh, just one more little wrinkle. A f liquid like water is known as incompressible. And what that means is that a large amount of force won't change water's volume by very much. We can't compress it. Because that's very different to a gas, which is easy to compress. Why is that important? Well, it means that we can use water for hydraulics. Now, we've talked about the fact that fluids evenly distribute pressure. So, if I take an incompressible fluid like water, and I apply pressure to one end of a tube, that same pressure will appear at the other end of the tube. And it's the pressure that gets transferred, not the force. Now that's incredibly useful because that means I can apply quite a uh, small force to a small area of a water pipe 
and create a reasonably large pressure because of course pressure is force divided by area so if the area is little I can get quite a big pressure even if the force isn't massive then at the other end if I have a much larger bore pipe the end result is the pressure is exactly the same because I've increased the area of my pipe the force I get out is very very much higher now that's uh, used all for all sorts of things uh, there was an example in a recent question of a car being lifted by a hydraulic jack I'm sure you've heard of a hydraulic jack and the brakes on a car they're hydraulic you press on a small cylinder that passes pressure through a pipe to a large cylinder and as that large cylinder moves it clamps on your brakes on your car wheels with a huge force even though your leg pressing on the brake pedal isn't actually producing that bigger force so we can use hydraulics to multiply force how much the force is multiplied depends upon the ratio between the areas between the different pistons in our hydraulic system. When I do demonstrations of this in class, I tend to do it with two different syringes. Two different syringes, different sizes, attach them to fill them with water, attach them together, and uh, it's very hard to hang on to the larger board syringe when you're pushing the smaller board syringe because such a much larger force is created on the larger diameter syringe. So that's hydraulics multiplying force and the ratio that the force is multiplied by is the ratio the areas of the different pistons that are moving about in your hydraulic system okay I think that pretty much does pressure um, pressure is force divided by area its uh, unit is newtons per centimeter squared or meters squared um, but it's more usually pascals pascals is the name we give to newtons per meter squared and uh, I'll play you a bit of music and we'll then go into um, the particle model of gas
Okay, that one was called Black Tide, and that was composed for free play music by a catch up with Dean Barrett. And you might have gathered by the fact I haven't faded that one out too early, and I uh, liked that one compared to most of the other stuff that we've been listening to um, from this um, free copyright for education use website that I've been using. Okay, so where are we up to? We're up to states of matter and uh, the particle model. Well, of course, again, this is nothing new to you. You would have done the particle model in Year 7 chemistry. Um, everything's made up of particles. Try and stick with particles because uh, it varies as to uh, what they actually are. Are they molecules? Are they individual atoms? doesn't really matter. Just call them particles. And then we have this idea that uh, as they get hotter, they jiggle about more. And this is the key point of the particle theory, is that heat, temperature, is reflected in the motion, the random motion of the particles. So the hotter something is, the more violent their motion becomes. When they're solids, that motion is vibration, because of course they're held in place by their chemical bonds. Uh, when they get too hot for those chemical bonds to hold them in place, they become liquids, so they go through melting. And then finally, uh, when it becomes too hot even to remain as a liquid at the particular pressure that uh, this particular liquid is at then we'll get boiling occurring and it'll become a gas and at that point the particles become completely separate there's no bonding whatsoever and they bounce around entirely separately from one another or at least that's how we treat it in the very simple particle model and they bounce off the walls they bounce off each other um, and pressure therefore just becomes the force of those particles bouncing off the walls of the container divided by the area of the container. Make sure you remember to say divided by the area of the container because, of course, pressure is force divided by area. So uh, it's a very effective uh, model for explaining what's going on in everything to do with heat. And so uh, that thermal model is used um, first uh, sort of evidence for the thermal model actually being true was uh, found by a chap called Brown and uh, you should remember that I've shown you Brownian motion in, under the microscope where smoke particles are wiggling about and moving randomly and it's very clear if you look at it and you think about what must be happening that those smoke particles are being struck by much smaller much more fast moving particles and they of course are the air particles and that's Brownian motion first found by a botanist called Brown who observed pollen grains vibrating on the surface of water. So uh, random motion particularly for gases um, random motion also for liquids for solids their motions less random it becomes it's more about vibrations because the particles are held in place by their bonds random motion and it's that random motion the fact that the particles are moving sort of with roughly equal speeds in every direction that leads to the fact that pressure is the same in a fluid in every direction you're as likely to get struck from one side as you are to get struck from another side by the fast moving particles so pressure is the same in every direction in fluids because of this particle model of the particles moving around with random motion talking very specifically about gases then pressure changes uh, come about because of temperature changes or volume changes so if we take the same number of particles and we squeeze them down into a smaller volume they're more likely to be hitting the sides more often 
and of course the pressure arises from those particles hitting the sides and changing direction from that force and so we've got them hitting the sides more often we've also got a smaller surface area because we've got a smaller volume and as a result the pressure goes up similarly if we raise the temperature the particles are now moving faster faster moving particles uh, are going to be hitting the sides of our box harder and so the pressure goes up so pressure rises with temperature um, and pressure decreases with increasing volume or pressure rises as we decrease the volume as we squeeze the gas down now in particular for um, if you're taking the higher paper, you have to know that for any particular lump of gas, any particular parcel of gas, so if we had a particular lump of air in a pump, for example, for any particular parcel of gas, pressure multiplied by volume is a constant. Pressure multiplied by volume is a constant. Now that's called Boyle's Law and uh, you need to know that pressure multiplied by volume gives you a constant and that that is Boyle's law. How do we use it? Well if you think about our parcel of air in a pump, if we halve the volume of the pump then our value for V has gone down by 2 but V multiplied by P has to stay as a constant and therefore the pressure has to have doubled. So if we halve the volume we double the pressure. If we reduce the volume down to one third, the pressure must go up three times. And so you can see why when you squeeze a pump, the pressure goes up. And you can see how you could perhaps do some maths on questions like that. Um, it's always true, providing we're talking about the same lump of gas. Um, for any particular lump of gas, its pressure multiplied by its volume is a constant, providing it's the same lump of gas and providing the temperature doesn't change. Now, because you know that when you're operating a pump, actually everything gets hot. The, pressure does the temperature does change. But uh, in the questions you're going to be given, they'll say that the pump's done really slowly so that the temperature doesn't change. Temperature has to remain constant for uh, Boyle's Law to hold true. For pressure times volume to equal a constant. So, what have we done? We've done... Uh, so far we've done what pressure is, uh, force divided by area, um, what it's measured in, pascals. We've uh, talked about the, how you calculate the extra pressure being exerted by something and how particularly for liquids and for gases that extra pressure is given by uh, rho gh. And we've now gone on and talked about how the particle model leads us to the idea that pressure is the particles themselves striking the walls of a box when we're talking about a gas. And that for any particular parcel of gas, any particular lump of gas, the pressure multiplied by the volume must be a constant. And we can use that to do simple calculations. If I, re if I reduce something's volume by three quarters, what have I done to the pressure? Okay, so quite a, quite a lot covered very quickly there. And our next bit, we'll talk a bit more about how temperature affects things. So we'll go on to the thermal properties of objects.